0: You are listening to Stories from Montreal, a podcast to highlight the voices and work of Concordia University's undergraduate sociology and anthropology department. All of our guests have been featured authors in our academic journal of the same name, Stories from Montreal. I would like to begin by acknowledging that Concordia University is located on in unceded, Indigenous lands. The Ghanige Nation is recognized as the custodians of land and waters on which we live today. Jojage, or Montreal, is historically known as a gathering place for many First Nations, and we respect the continued connections with the past, present, and future in our ongoing relationships with Indigenous and other peoples within the Montreal community. I'm your host, Marie Figuereo. Today, you'll hear about religiously informed sexuality and communication within relationships as I talk to Amanda Sidiras, and Julia DeMarco about their paper Sex Through the Eyes of God, Perceptions of Virginity of Montreal Protestants. Amanda is currently in her last semester of her master's in educational studies after completing a bachelor's in anthropology, both at Concordia University. Her professional background in teaching has allowed her to see education through a different lens, Passionate about ongoing societal issues, she strives to obtain and promote a holistic view of education, upholding the belief that it is a right rather than a privilege. This passion is carried on and reflected into her work, which she hopes will eventually lead her to teach and inform future generations in higher education. Julia is in her last semester of her master's in translation at Concordia. She is drawn to this field because it is a practical and firsthand way of working with different cultures and languages. She's been doing freelance translation for about a year now and is also working full-time with a real estate agent. Although it's not specifically related to anthropology, she feels that her bachelor's helped her to view the world around her in a different light and to be highly appreciative of multicultural settings. Hi guys, how are you doing? Hi, good, you? I'm great, Thanks. Hi, thank you for having us. (laughs) No problem, my pleasure. So though talking about sex and sexuality is generally becoming less stigmatized, especially with younger generations, I think we can all agree that there are still many more barriers to break down. And, you know, there's an assumption that in religious communities, conversations are still very taboo. Um, I also want to preface this chat by noting that all the beliefs that are talked about are not meant to represent all Protestant Christians, just simply the select group. Um, But could you tell me a bit about what you wanted to look at with this research?
1: Yeah. Um, So obviously, we're two people who believe that this topic is very important, no matter which sphere it's being looked at through or which perspective we're approaching it from. And personally, we're not very like we, we don't practice any specific religion. And so we had this perception that it would be very taboo in any religious sphere, no matter what it would be. So we wanted to see if this was the case, if there were any barriers or any walls that we had to really break down to address this topic, because we do believe that it's something that's very
2: important to talk about. I don't know if Amanda, you wanted to expand on that or? I I think you explained it perfectly. Um, Sexuality as a whole and like on its own is extremely controversial and in in a lot of uh, cultures and societies. And I think that, you know, as time progresses, we're realizing that we need to sort of get in line with that and accept, uh, you know, this evolving community and society that we do have. Um, So I think that one of our biggest goals in this research was to be able to break down these barriers, because we did know that we were, we would probably come across uh, certain uh, controversial, you know, debates or topics that revolve around sexuality. Um, So To be able to break down these barriers and these walls and have these conversations in a safe and open space, especially with Julia and I both being very accepting and open-minded and open-spirited, I think, you know, I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to sort of like blow our own horns here, but we, um, I think we were sort of the, some of the, I don't want to say the best people, but two individuals who were right for this type of project and this research.
0: Yeah. Could you tell me about how you actually conducted the research? Was there like a participatory element to it?
1: Yes. So it actually lasted close to just a little under a year. I'd say maybe about eight or nine months. And we were attending a church in St. Leonard in the East End of Montreal. And we would go every Well, not necessarily every Friday and Sunday, but as much as we possibly can, just because Sunday was, you know, the typical Sunday mass uh, where they would preach together. And Friday, they actually had more thematic kind of classes or topics of discussion or conversation that we felt were necessary for us to attend, to really properly get comfortable with them and for them to also get comfortable with us, to trust us, to see that we're serious about this without necessarily crossing any lines as you know really observance and participant observation and not going beyond that so that was very important for us to do as well but yeah so we attended for close to a year and then we also did some um some more formal interviews formal and informal actually just regular conversation where they knew they were being recorded and we really focused on those and got a lot of our you know, meat of the research from there as well. So those are very, very interesting for us.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think everything Julia just said um, is exactly what we did. And um, and the way that the trust is even built up over time to be able to uh, get the best information and be able to explain yourself in their perspective, which is one of the hardest things to do, um, you know, that's why it was so important for us to actually attend and go and not only, you know, Julia said on Sundays, it's it's mass and that was also important because by attending, uh, by attending mass on Sunday, sorry, we were able to hear a lot of what was being said whether it came from the pastor, whether it was conversations that were being had next to, like that were, that were that we were having with individuals around us or that they were having just within themselves. These were some of the crucial uh, components of being able to truly understand them and their religion and their perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. And how were you actually received by these members? Did you find that there was already like a dialogue about sex and sexuality happening before you arrived to do research about it?
1: There was actually, which was one of the aspects that really surprised us in a way. I mean, a good kind of surprise that we were glad that they were having these conversations. But we also noticed that this was possibly also a very good church for us to be attending because they're all so close and it's families who have been going to the same church for years and years. There's such a diverse community there in terms of age as well. And whether it was with children or with the older community of the church, they were already having these conversations. Um, obviously, they didn't necessarily always have the same beliefs that I did or that Amanda did. But the fact of the matter is that they were having these conversations. And I'd say all in all, we were received pretty well. Obviously, there was you know that line that we had to make sure not to cross, make sure that you know they know that we're not there to potentially join the church, which we sometimes did feel like they were, you know, kind of getting that vibe or we would say, oh, no, we're actually just here for research. We're not members of the church. And they'd be like, oh, well, not yet. But, <laughs> um, so that was definitely interesting to see. But I think everyone was really open, a lot more open than. And obviously, these are just ideas that we had in our head beforehand, I think. Yes, you want to stay as unbiased as possible, but it's normal to have these preconceived ideas. And we didn't expect everyone to be so receptive to us being there and to being so open to talking to us about the topic of sexuality or just
2: having conversations with us about these things. Um, Exactly. and to add to that, I think that what another really important aspect of what sort of made the transition so smooth for us, and even the research itself was also the fact that like a majority of the individuals who attended the church were very young as well. So they were all in their, you know, like, twenties, early thirties. So when, even when it came to sort of, you know, starting a conversation, creating that bond, it was a lot, um, a lot easier, I I would say. As time progressed, we realized that, um, you know, these individuals had a past as well. And I think that this past that they had, um, and I know like through their eyes, you know, these were mistakes that they had made in their lives. But Through these conversations, we realized why they were so open to the topic of sexuality and why talking about virginity was not a taboo. And it was not this, uh, you know, like impossible conversation to be like to have. It was actually normal. It was needed and it was essential.
1: Yeah. Just to also bounce off of that, um, as we said before, these were conversations that we like they were having with children as well. And even Amanda said before that this is a topic that's being talked about in the media and in, you know, in just our society more and more in general. And that's something that they acknowledge as well, which is why they think that it's important to talk about it with the children. Cause they're like, well, if we don't, they're going to just hear whatever the media has to say, which is very true for any topic. And obviously what we see in the media, we don't, always second guess but that in itself is very biased so that's something that they acknowledge as well and they're like it's important for us to have these conversations because if we don't someone else will and they might not necessarily hear the right thing they might hear something that's wrong and think that that's the way that it just is when that's not the case
0: right yeah so trying to kind of not control but to be the first ones that the kids hear it from, so that it's more ingrained in the way that they live their lives in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, in your research, you mentioned that you were speaking to a a young couple who eventually got engaged. How does the religious perspective of sexuality change the dynamics of dating and relationships in your research?
1: Amanda, you can go ahead. I've been talking a lot,
2: (laughs) This is a huge, I think this is like a a very important part of the research that we did. Um, It was a huge component in the sense that obviously they were abstinent from um, any sexual sexual activity at all. So, of course, in a relationship, uh, you know, when they were dating, these were, this at times came, I'm going to express myself really badly here, but uh, at times it was problematic for them. In the sense that, you know, they talk about how they feel tempted and how, you know, they have needs. And these needs cannot be met until they are married. And they're very well aware of it, which is why they have the willpower to stop themselves from anything sort of going any further or being in a situation where they will regret later on. Um, So, you know, we saw this with this couple who... You know, would tell us they'd be cuddling on the couch, and you know they would both be in a situation where they realized, okay, like this needs to end. We will go our separate ways. Uh, the uh, that the night will end here, and you know we'll go from it. You know tomorrow we'll continue this tomorrow, so that they would make sure that you know nobody nobody took it too far. And when it comes to dating, especially with uh, the individuals we spoke to. Uh, this was another reason why they mentioned that they wouldn't date for too long. This was a huge part of it as well. So when we had spoken to them, Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were engaged, right? The first time
1: we, I think we had, we spoke to them twice. The first time they were not. And then when we had the actual interview with them, they were, they were recent. It was very, very recent.
2: Yeah. Okay. So when we had, I think we had even asked them, you know, uh, you guys have known each other for a short period of time, you know, what makes you so sure about this? And they had said, you know, why wait? You know, when you're with the right person and you should know after you're being with them. And they had also mentioned that the longer that they wait, the harder it is not to be tempted into, you know, making a mistake. And
1: there's also that idea of they believe like, well, from what we heard, obviously, this is not like a general belief for everyone. But the people that we actually spoke to were like, after a year, you pretty much know if this is someone you connect with on a spiritual basis on just um like mentally your values, the way that you think you already know if it's the right person after a year or not. So, you know, you're, you're not going to date someone if you don't see a future with them.
2: Yes, I think that's so important, Julia. I, you know, you just remind uh, just reminded me that they don't date to date, they date to eventually get married, Mm -hmm. because marriage is such a sacred element, Um, you know, coming from a religious background for them, especially, you know, marriage is sort of what everyone is trying to achieve, uh, something that everybody wants.
1: Yeah. And then there's also that aspect um, that I believe um, the pastor had shared with us. And he said that if you have these experiences outside of marriage, you'll never be fully satisfied no matter who you're with in a marriage because you're always going to be comparing all of your experiences to everything else that you've done before your marriage. So you're not going to be able to offer your partner the same thing that you would if you hadn't had those experiences beforehand. So that was another thing that we found very interesting, actually.
2: And I think this could even lead us to talk about, you know, the objectification of the body. Julia, you just said, you know, all your entire being to somebody else. And I know this is something we wanted to talk about. So again, I'm, I'm going to jump the gun here <laughs> and start this conversation. But the comparison to a flower, which is something, you know, we've all heard of. This was very, very prominent in our interview, uh, and in our interviews, uh, talking about giving, you know, something that's so special, this flower of yours, to this one individual for life. Uh, So as Julia was saying, you know, if you've had these past experiences, it's as if you're coming and you're sort of offering this, this flower that, you know, half the petals are sort of not there anymore. They're non-existent. So you're only being able to offer half of a full flower. Uh, You know, why would you do that? You know, why would you offer only half of you, half of your being when you can offer your entire self, when you can be able to give, you know, this. Amazing gift. Another aspect was that he said that
1: even though you know this is what they strive to do, people make mistakes all the time. And it's not because you have a past that you're not worthy or that you cannot in any way or in any of your capabilities offer someone all of you. And one of the other, you know, kind of metaphors that was used is that sometimes you make a mistake and you get dirty and you he basically had to explain it as. You need a new t-shirt. And just because, you know, just because you follow the word of God, it doesn't mean that you won't need a new clean t-shirt every once in a while. Like it's normal to, you know, to make mistakes, to get dirty. And as long as you, you acknowledge that you made those mistakes and that you're able to recognize where those mistakes come from and you learn from them, that's what's important.
2: Yeah. It's a clean slate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually what I wanted to mention. So if they aren't aware of the word of God, they can't be expected to follow it. Right. But what's interesting about this is that as we were having this discussion with this discussion with this couple who, you know, the the guy had acknowledged his past, we understood that. and, And they made it very clear to us that this idea of the new, this new slate was not on the basis of the physical aspect because that they knew was, you know, sort of already done, but it was more on a spiritual level. And for them, that's what counted. It was the spiritual level. It was how devoted are you at this moment to God? And if you are the devoted, are you following the word? And if you are, then that for me is more than enough. So in that case, the girlfriend, so the fiance. Um, had acknowledged his past. She was okay with it. And because he had now devoted himself to this religion, she had forgiven him. And if God can forgive him, then she could too, right? There there was no issue there. Interesting. Um, So it seems like there's
0: like a really strong correlation between like corporal action and like spirituality. And, you know, the concept of virginity is really forceful within, you know, secular society as well. But in this religious context, is virginity solely conceptualized of as like the physical act, like as like not having sex or are there other elements to it?
2: Yes, a thousand percent. So the entire the religion itself is something that sort of they they take on and they take with them everywhere and in anything that they do, wherever they go, whoever they meet, you know, any any decision that they make, that. The like the aspect of religion will always be there, and it will, in many cases, even dictate what decision they end up making. Right uh, from their day to day habits, their routines—you know, just even attending mass on a Sunday—these are things that are dictated, not dictated in, in, in a negative connotation, but um, that the religion sort of guides them towards. And I think that's the the better word, actually, guiding. Mm -hmm. Uh, the religion guides them towards, uh, a type of life, a, you know, the decisions that they will make, um, who they end up marrying on and on with, I guess, every single element that life brings to you, this religion, like their religion will find itself and will make its way through everything. Yeah. And
1: then if we relate that back to, for example, sexuality within marriage, they see it as You know, that was, this was, I guess, another preconceived idea that we had was that sex was for procreation. But when it's in a context of marriage, it goes way beyond that. And they believe that God wouldn't have made it pleasurable if he didn't want you to enjoy it. And so yes, obviously it is for procreation. That's something we can all acknowledge, but it also goes way beyond that. It's a way to be intimate with your partner. It's a way to connect on every basis. It's it's really just something for you to enjoy with your partner. So in a sphere of marriage there's absolutely nothing wrong with sexuality and with being sexually active with your partner and in fact it's encouraged they they want you to be able to connect on that level.
2: Yeah, I think the concept of pleasure when it comes with sex is something that's extreme like that's very much accepted and Talked about and essential in a marriage for them as well. Um, so you know, like these are this is something that we'll find in most of society as well. You know, the concept of pleasure being okay mm-hmm. for sex and in any sexual activity, as Julia said, in the marriage sphere, by all means, go ahead, enjoy yourself. You know, it's a, it's okay. It don't don't be you know like don't hide ab- don't hide away from it. It's it's okay to discuss it. It's okay to talk about it. And
0: something that I that i found
2: i guess maybe surprising or that
0: challenged my preconceived notions before i read um the paper was that the gender experience of of the um concept of abstinence was pretty it was pretty equal for well for men and for women which i thought was interesting because i assumed that it would be stronger strong like more strongly placed on on women
1: yeah honestly I feel like we hadn't really paid attention to the notion of gender and how it relates to this topic, but it is true that in general, especially if, for example, you look at the metaphor of the flower, you think of a flower as delicate, and that's the way that in society we view women. It's not the way that we view men whatsoever. Yet, these were beliefs that really applied to both genders equally and were important to talk about on when
2: relating to both genders. Very much so. Yeah, exactly. I think we've sort of, I don't want to say indirectly, because I feel like media and society has told us that, you know, a flower is this feminine object, and element. Um, But Mm -hmm. in this case, it worked for, you know, it was just a metaphor that was being used for, you know, either gender in this particular context. Let me just precise that.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I, as I was reading, I was wondering if your participants practice of religiously informed sexuality, like, does it place a greater importance or maybe not greater than, but just, yeah, does it place a a great importance on communication between partners?
2: Yeah, the one thing that I will say and that I noticed um, was that communication was a key element in their religion. And especially within this tight-knit community. The fact that they, you know, everyone was so tight-knit and everybody knew everyone. And uh, the pastor was extremely you know, he was, he was someone that was so easy to talk to. And he actually encouraged this. He encourages couples uh, before marriage to come and speak to him, right? I think on a weekly basis. Yeah. So he also does like a, a couple therapy type session where they can talk about these things with him. Exactly, and he he's very open. Um, you know, he, he was another individual who acknowledged his past as well. So, in terms of talking about you know anything, uh, he was he was open to it. He was very comfortable with it. So, through these aspects, we saw that communication was definitely uh, important for them. Whether you were in a relationship, whether you were not in a relationship, that's the way they even you know they uh, communicated the word of God. You know, it's through communication it's by attending and listening. So I think communication is just a key element that's sort of found in every single aspect and every sphere of um, this particular group.
1: Another thing, though, I, that I did find interesting about, I guess it kind of relates to communication, but also the belief in youth and how it's this topic is being taught to children is that one of our participants actually told us that until around the age of 12, she didn't realize that people didn't wait until marriage because she had always followed the word of God. And this is something that, you know, her parents had taught her about. And when she got to high school, that's when she realized that people, you know, practice their sexuality outside of marriage as well. Um, But this never influenced the way that she thought or the, you know, her perceptions because she acknowledged that, yes, some of her friends had lost their virginity in high school or whatever age it may be. And none of them, came out of it, a better person. It just complicated things in their life more than anything. And that might also be because of this huge importance that we place on virginity in society as a whole. Um, But for her, it just never crossed her mind or was never something that she thought about doing outside of a marriage sphere, just because she had talked about this so much, whether it be with some of her peers at the church or her parents or, you know, anyone that has these beliefs or even just from reading the word of god on her own. So that was something that was very interesting as well and how, you know, the influences of the media outside of the church basically.
0: Yeah. Um you know, I think I think that your research is really important in the the larger sex positive discourse because I mean, we have to acknowledge that people have different beliefs and different viewpoints and different ways that they choose to live their life and you know, if we're truly like invested in you know, making space for everybody and and talking about it and having people have good relationships to sexuality, however they want to, or whatever feels good for them, then meeting people where they're at and not, you know, and understanding that uh, everyone has limits and everyone, yeah, feels comfortable in, in different ways of expressing that. And I think that's something important to bring to the table Um that, you know, there's no one size fits all for sex positivity as well, you know, as long as, no one gets hurt and that everyone is like respectful of other people's behaviors I guess or not behaviors but actions
2: Mm -hmm. a thousand percent
0: so was there any other reason that you chose to do this topic like you were kind of nervous going in there like what kind of pushed you like there must have been some kind of big drive to make yourself uncomfortable by doing this this research
2: yeah personally speaking I'll really be speaking for myself here I I attended an all girls high school that was run by nuns. Um, so the topic of sexuality was briefly brushed up on, though the concept of virginity was huge. It was you know something that, that there was no bypassing it, and I you know personally I had never agreed with that perspective and having the opportunity. And yes, in this context, it was, you know, through a religious perspective as, as well of, you know, Protestants. Um, but I was really hoping that it wasn't like that. <laughs> like the what I experienced in, in my own personal experience of attending a high school where these things were being engraved into our minds. And I think that, you know, when it's, when it's being engraved in that way, and when it's, you know, it, it sort of brings out this like negative connotation to sexuality. And I think that's extremely dangerous. Um, and I think there's more, harm, there's more harm in that, sorry, than there is any positive aspect that comes out of this. So that for me was a huge drive to do this, you know, research. And it was extremely, it, it was, I was really happy with the results and I was happy with the way, with what I saw with my two own eyes attending that, you know, that church and uh, talking to these individuals and saying that, you know, these poor, like these people were not, did not have to suffer the way I did and then not have to be told certain things. Um, So that's on my end.
1: Mm -hmm. Kind of bouncing off of that, I feel like oftentimes the topic of sexuality as a whole is just not talked about. So the way that we deal with it is by not talking about it. And I mean, like Amanda said, I think there's definitely more harm in that then positive aspects and so I kind of told myself someone has to have these conversations and we have to be able to talk about these things and you know if someone's not going to do it like if someone's going to have to do that then why not us um like Amanda said earlier again I think we're two people who you know we're probably well suited for this research and for this project as a whole Um, personally this might sound a little bit like childish but the fact that I wasn't alone in doing this. Also helped a lot. So this is something we did together, and you know, sometimes it it, it also made the research a lot easier because yes, it going somewhere new by yourself is scary. Um, I think everyone can acknowledge that. But the fact that you know we had someone else there and it was new for both of us, that was very reassuring. Um, and then when it came down to writing our research or hypothesizing or just, you know, gathering ideas together, noticing patterns and what we were doing, we would always bounce off of each other's ideas and bounce off of our beliefs. And it always led to something greater. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was very, very happily surprised about how open it ended up being and how it ended up going. And yes, we always told them, you know, if there's anything you're uncomfortable with, you can let us know, you don't have to answer this, but they never once turned us down. They were always very open to talking about everything. So, I mean, I think that's clearly a good sign that they've been taught that it's a good thing to talk about these topics rather than kind of ignore it until it goes away. You know what I mean? So I think that was another big reason why.
0: Yeah, for sure. That kind of collaborative um, workflow and you know, just exchange of like thoughts like that, that's, that's a very cool place to be in in academia,
2: where often you're alone. Mm -hmm. It could be, it could be really, like you said, lonely, (laughs) and really, and really hard to get through, you know, doing any type of research is extremely demanding. Mm -hmm. It involves not only your time, but you know, your energy. And obviously, you know, because you want to sort of give the best, you want to be able to represent them in the best way possible being attentive to everything is huge as well. So going in there with someone that, you know, you can trust, uh, like a partner that you know, you know, is just as aware and just as devoted to the research is mm-hmm. extremely helpful. Um, you know, at times, you know, you might not notice something or you might not be paying attention to something in particular, but, you know, your partner is. So at the end of the day, when you come to uh, discuss it, your research really completes itself and it, it becomes a lot more holistic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of research, what have you been up to now? So I'm actually doing my master's in translation.
1: Um, it's a much more practical master's as opposed to a theoretical one. But yeah, I mean, I guess obviously there's, as in any master's now I'm in my last semester, so there's been lots of research that had to be done within that. I'm actually translating part of a book that is the first book um, in Quebec written by a transgendered woman. So it's an autofiction book. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's really for class, but I think these topics are still something that I'm very passionate about and something that I want to explore. And obviously through the sphere of translation now, it's very different, but there's still some anthropological thoughts that can easily be carried into that depending on what type of translation you choose to do. So that's pretty much what I've been up to since our, since this research has been written.
2: Cool. Uh, And as for me, I'm doing my master's in educational studies at the moment, and I am two in my last semester. The research that we did together was extremely beneficial. Um, I would say most of the time I've spent doing my master's, I actually put my energy and my time into doing research about sexuality in education, which is a very controversial topic. Um, it's something that, like I said, through my own experience, there was barely any uh, conversations uh, that were, that, sorry, we were barely having any conversations at the time uh, about sexuality, anything that was actually legitimate and worth listening to. Um, Which is unfortunate, but it's also the reality. And I know that in that, in this specific case, I'm not alone. Most of you know, our province is lacking a lot of sex ed, Um, whether that be, you know, the teachers are afraid of having the conversations, or they themselves don't feel knowledgeable enough to have these conversations, which is completely normal, you know, we cannot be expecting these things from from people. Um, But there are many, many issues. Um, So I would say half of my time was spent devoting devoting myself to this particular topic. And right now, I'm actually writing my directed study on Bill 21. So diversity, another issue that we have in Quebec. Clearly, I'm into the issues. (laughs) I'm trying to not find solutions uh, because I know that that's almost an impossible task. But to be able to just talk about and acknowledge the fact that there's a problem in our province. And I think that that's something that our government tries to sort of ignore and like defer and, you know, put aside because it's not it's not our priority right now, but these, you know, whether it's sexuality or whether we're talking about diversity and in, in any um, sense, you know, whether that's sec- uh, sexual or whether that's, uh, you know, like your religion, your culture, These are all elements that sort of build who we are and our identities. And I think that, you know, especially being in Quebec, this could be very clashing at times. There could be a lot of tension. So I think acknowledging that tension and being able to work towards a better society and one that's a lot more accepting is crucial and it's essential especially in 2021 you know I feel like we used to say that in 2018 but like things are not changing and you know we need to do our part in that yeah so it sounds like you both are doing some really
0: exciting and important work and that is I'm that's great I'm very happy for you guys (laughs) thank you thank you so much for um taking the time to talk with me about your work um it was really nice to get to know you and to hear more about it
1: Thank you for having us. Honestly, this was, you know, great to continue
2: this conversation and to keep talking about it. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. And I'm so glad that somebody actually read it.
0: <laughs> to read Julia and Amanda's or any of our other featured authors' works, be sure to check out Sasu's Facebook page or Instagram for more information. Stories from Montreal was produced with support from the Concordia Student Union, the Sociology and Anthropology Student Union, and the CJLO radio station. It was hosted and edited by me, Marie Figuereo. Our sound design is by Malti and artwork by Allie Brown. You can catch our show on the CJLO Airways at cjlo.com or on their channel, 1690 AM, every Wednesday at 4 PM. You can also listen to us anywhere you like to stream podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.